We are going to pray before we begin, because if the Lord does not build the house, its builders labor in vain. Uh, Gracious God, we are delighted that you have drawn us together in this time and in this place. We ask that you would reveal to us the truth of your spirit as we examine the text and as we seek to understand our work and our role in your world. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Maybe you have worked in food service before or customer service or something kind of along those lines where you had to wear like a name tag. And maybe also you're a better person than me because whenever I get a name tag, I immediately want to trade it out with someone else for their name tag so that I'm wearing the wrong one. I just think it's funny when you're wearing a name tag that's not actually your name. If I had come up here this morning and I had a name tag on and it said something like, Ernest, that would be funny, right? That's a good joke. Doesn't hurt anybody, there's no harm done, and it's amusing this idea of exchanging identities or exchanging identifiers. Name tags distinguish us and tell people the first thing they need to know about us, right? Something distinct about our own self. And today we're going to reflect on this idea of name tags, identifiers, and the things and ways that we see ourselves. You already know, I would assume, even if you have not been a Christian for very long, even if you're not even a Christian now, that Christians have a lot of different ideas about a lot of different topics. There's not a universal Christian opinion that fits in one specific category for every type of question that we have about the world. One of those things that we disagree about a lot is the question of human relationship to sin. Within current American culture, the idea of human depravity is deeply ingrained. This concept just talks about the impulse of sin or the underlying tendency of sin within human beings. It's not something technically complicated. And in our current cultural world, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, focus time and energy on this idea of sin. You've heard the statements before, sound bites. Maybe you've even said them, well-intended. We're all sinners. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And there are lines in the songs that we sing, modern songs and ancient songs, that emphasize this idea, they underline and they highlight this status of humans as wicked people, easily swayed by sin and wrongdoing, deeply sinful. And part of how we got to this current idea of sin is because of many disagreements in Christian history between Catholic doctrine and Martin Luther and uh, John Calvin's influence And even before them, earlier Christian writers like Augustine and Thomas Aquinas, they disagreed about sin and its present reality and effect on human people. This is not a new conversation. And a Christian obsession with sinfulness is also not new. Now that that we can recognize sort of where we're at in modern Christian culture, Uh, It also allows us to understand the emphasis on sin and sinfulness. And we've already talked about the historical reasons why this might have come about. 
Um, and our own reasons are probably just as varied as they are in history. Maybe we emphasize our sin because it's easier to remember our sins than to imagine ourselves as transformed human beings. Uh, maybe it's because we're worried that either we'll forget about our sins or we worry that other people are forgetting about their sins too quickly, and so we talk about it to bring it up so that we don't forget. We maybe want to give glory to God by continually discussing the gap between us and the divine. And maybe, even, we've been taught that this kind of thinking is a great moral righteousness, that to focus on our sin, to remember continually that which we have done wrong, is to be righteously concerned. It's never letting your guard down so the devil doesn't find a way in, right? But this kind of mindset, when unexamined, can be unhelpful, is concerning, and at times entirely untruthful to what we find in the scripture. I do also want to state here that this focus on sin can sometimes feed into the daily reality of people who have what is called scrupulosity or religious OCD. This is a mental health challenge and is not what we're talking about here. But our obsession sometimes feeds the challenges of that. So if you or someone that you know struggles with compulsions of confession and obsession with their own sin, diagnosed or otherwise, know that God loves them. God loves you. God receives you without judgment. This is not about that. This is about, for us Christians who do not struggle in that way, whose mindsets are changeable around this concept of our own sin. So, if you struggle in this way, this is not a cure kind of conversation, but I hope that what we talk about today is a bomb. And if for you that is not necessarily a mental health struggle, but just a life choice, I hope that our conversation today helps you consider other perspectives in the world and in the text. Some of you, I can tell, are already a little worried today that this is going to be a sermon either too intense or veering too close to sort of a woo-woo spirituality. So I want to be as clear as I can. Firstly, sin is real. Second, no one is sinless save our God. Third, we are to be mindful of sin's hold on us and to work with the Holy Spirit to clear sin from our lives. And last, but perhaps most crucially, it is unhelpful and wrong for a Christian to overemphasize their sinfulness when they have been redeemed. Had a lot of conviction when I said that, but we're going to talk about why I'm convinced about this. We're going to talk about the text and see what it might offer us in terms of a new solution. We're reading from 2 Corinthians this morning, chapter 5, 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we no longer 
know him in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away, and look, new things have come into being. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, God made the one who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So at first glance, or perhaps first hearing, this is a complicated text with a lot of different points overlapping. But if we look closer, I think we can see a clear point running through each of these portions of the text. The first hint is in this discussion of human views. The part of the text right before this is about those who criticized Paul and others with him for a lack of outward boasting about their spiritual superiority, right? They're better spiritually than other people, and they weren't proud about it. And the Corinthians were like, you don't seem like you're a good leader if you're not going to be proud about your better spiritual gifts than the rest of us. The Corinthian church struggled with focusing too much on the dramatic visibility of spiritual gifts and how impressive they were, rather than a more internal truth. That is the human point of view, focusing on one's own spirituality as better than someone else. It is a point of view that emphasizes appearance over transformation. And the second thing that might help us see this text clearly is hearing these words about new creation. It specifically says, everything old has passed away. How did that happen? Well, God reconciled us to Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And it tells us that through Christ's presence and work, God brought the whole world to God's self. In doing so, God did not count their transgressions against them. Did not count their trespasses against them. Sounds pretty certain to me. Then it tells us more. We are now, because of that, ambassadors of Christ. Because in our transformation, there is a message that is being shared. Through our new reality, we become a demonstration of the truth of what God can do. Reconciling us to God's self, having set aside and not counted our sins against us. Just by living, we offer this encouragement to the world. Be reconciled to God. And the final portion of our text talks more specifically about sin. And it tells us that it is for our sake that Christ came, that the one who was without sin offered up his perfection in order that we, sinful, might become the righteousness of God. By God's gifts, by God's action, our very human nature is made into something new. 
before God, before the world, before the invisible and visible realities, our defining feature now is not our wickedness, but rather the righteousness of God. We do not carry first the title wicked sinner, but instead reconciled to God, righteousness of God. That is now who we are at our very core. And in the midst of this new life, we can begin to understand reconciliation, which is God bringing us into full connection with God in love. The definition of reconciliation requires that there was a split, a disagreement, that two parties were drawn apart but have now been brought back together. In our case, it was our sin that drove us, and it was Christ who drew us back in again. Remember, sin is the things that we have done which are are contrary to the will and work of God. And they're intentional or lacking intention when we should have been intentional. Sin requires a degree of choice. And as Christians, part of our work is to be more aware of the deep internal change that God is offering us. That is the work of the good news. And when considering this message of good news against our emphasis or overemphasis on wickedness, we may begin accidentally to think like the Corinthians in that human way of thinking, because for some, a super awareness of our sin is actually highlighting our righteousness. And then we fall into the same trap that they did, worried more about appearance than about transformation. Instead, when we release our grip on wickedness, we can enter a place of true growth, true transformation. We do not forget our humanness, but we remember that our humanness is marked with God's fingerprints. We bear a spirit within us, which is God's own divine reflection. This is, by the way, great news. We are named and viewed not by what we have done wrong, but by the continuing work of God in our very selves. It is a status that is not just given like a coat that we would wear, but entitled and taken in altogether. We talked a few weeks ago, you may remember before Christmas, about God changing the nature of lions from predators to those who could lie down in peace with a lamb. And if God can take those kinds of creatures and make them something new, how much more could he take us who bear his own spirit and transform us into something totally different? Time and time again, God affirms in the text that we have been and are being transformed, redeemed, renewed, reconciled, brought into God's own self. I think there are a lot of reasons that we might lean into this title of sinful, wicked. It gives us a sense of control, helping us feel like our constant awareness might prevent us from sinning. It might be to try to make sense of the largeness of the gift of grace. It is no small thing to receive forgiveness for your sins. And we might think that if we make sure that God knows that we didn't forget what God did for us, then we might be able to earn it a bit. 
We might carry the title out of secret concern that God might change God's mind if we're not attentive enough, like God would take it back. And we might be motivated to underline this gap between God and ourselves. What a miracle has occurred that I and my brokenness might be brought into God's perfection. And that's true, but what ends up happening in reality is that often we act as if we need to over-dramatize God's own actions in us. Newsflash, God's miracle freeing us from sin is world-shattering and life-altering all on its own. It doesn't need embellishment, and we should allow it to be what it is without trying to make it more dramatic. God doesn't need a PR team, and as good as Jenny is at that, none of the rest of us are any good. We don't, when we push hard on our status as sinners first, we also sometimes fail to honor the work of God and the Holy Spirit within us. That work of transformation, we have been and are continuing to be transformed. There's no explanation or caveat needed to that truth. When we move ourselves, when we can be moved by the Spirit to a new perspective, one that is aware of ourselves, and our tendencies, one that is aware of God and God's work, we can change how we see ourselves and how we see God's work in the world. And by practicing this change, by viewing ourselves as those who carry God's righteousness, we are motivated not by shame to change our lives, but by love and by a gift that has already been given to us. Because if shame was going to change your behavior, it would have done it by now. Rather, by seeking this change to self-perspective, we can trust God's Spirit to build in us a new way and a new world in every place, in everyone. So we ask, what would it look like if we let this kind of thinking go, this overemphasis on our own wickedness? Well, it wouldn't mean letting go of sin altogether, and it would not mean failing to address our responsibilities in the world, but it would mean remembering our central identifier, our name tag, those who are redeemed and reconciled by God. It would mean that when we sinned, whether we were unkind to a spouse or a family member, whether we were judgmental of others, we would catch ourselves sinning, and rather than turning to berate our actions, we would recognize that God's grace has made us into something more than just what we have done. And we would seek to reform and change our actions because of who we are. We are the redeemed. It is both who we are and who we are becoming, and our actions will change when we are fully conscious of that. And when we find ourselves feeling guilt and anxiety over whether we're good people, whether we're kind people, we can speak the truth to ourselves and remind ourselves about our central identity in God. And when we hear other people in our faith communities say things about themselves, about how broken they are, how ashamed they feel when they come to church, sometimes can't even feel ready to take communion, we can also speak to that shame and that doubt, works of the enemy to separate us 
from one another and we can tell them the truth, that they are new people. The old has gone and the new has come. Not a one-time event, but a continuing moment. And it is done by God's hand. It is done by God's mercy. Not about what we do or don't do right. On nights when you lay in bed and think of all of the years and days and moments that you wasted on sins and foolishness, all the decisions that you wish you could unmake, you can offer them again to God in that moment who doesn't see you as those things, who instead sees you as wholly perfect and pure. This shifting mindset is an invitation to freedom. How much time would you have for actions of love and mercy if you didn't waste your time with self-condemnation? How much energy would you have to practice patience with people, to offer prayer, to be a person of peace, if you weren't being drained by your doubts, by your disgrace? Paul says we no longer regard anyone in Christ as who they previously were. That person is gone. And this new way of thinking is for us as individuals and as a community. When we see ourselves as new, being made new in every moment, all of those in Christ are new. There is a fountain of grace and love and compassion for us and for everyone else. To be transformed by reconciliation with God is to live first and foremost out of what is true. We are people who have sinned, but more crucially, we are those who have been made new in Christ. It is that newness, that transformation, that reconciliation that is our message. And we are the messengers of it. And in joy, we live the lives of people whose old selves have passed away and whose new focus is sharing the truth of this change to all people. You've been listening to me, Pastor Gaina Moore, at Hayes Christian Church. Hayes Christian Church is a non-denominational fellowship in Hayes, Kansas. We are supported by the generosity of our members, attenders, and friends. The financial support we raise goes to projects which further spread the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus, to those local national, and international missions, and they help keep these podcasts free. If you would like to share a monetary gift with us, please visit our website at hayeschristianchurch.org and click on the donate button, or you may mail your gift to P.O. Box 1111, Hayes, Kansas, 67601. If you have any questions, comments, or would like more information, we would love to hear from you. Simply go to our website and click on the Contact Us form. Thank you for your generosity, and may God bless you as you seek to follow him.